Hello listeners and welcome to The Chosen Brew. I'm your host and the creator of The Chosen Brew podcast, Ian McNally. The podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. This episode, it was a pleasure to talk to Derek Hales from Bad Shepherd Brewery in Cheltenham in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. Derek was great fun and his choices were very enlightening, so... Hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. So welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast. I'm your host, Ian McNally. And today with me, I've got Derek Hales. And I'm sat in a beautiful brew pub, Derek. You've gone from champion home brewer to smashing it out the park in terms of beers, uh, in terms of food, in terms of this beautiful brew pub we've got here. Where did it all go so right? Wow. <laughs> Uh, geez, that's, that's, um, that's quite humbling to think of it like that, but thank you for, uh, thank you for the compliments. Um, we, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not really sure, um, where it's all gone right. I suppose, um, it feels, feels like we've got a good following though, and, and we really enjoy it. Um, wow. I, I guess it has, and maybe we've been quite fortunate with, um, with, uh, a great team and, and good people around us and, and, uh, some loyal customers that were desperate for craft beer i think that's what yeah so i suppose that would bring me on to a a question is of all the craft beer hubs in melbourne Mm. why cheltenham no disrespect to cheltenham of course but it it seems like there was nothing going on i mean there's a pub down the road on nepean which offers sort of topless waitresses on a friday night um it doesn't seem seem the natural home for a brew pub like this yeah um i think that's why that you you just hit Mm. the nail on the on the head i think the difference is we wanted to go where there was nothing um we didn't um, there's plenty of craft beer in the market in um, in the northern suburbs um, and inner city, but we actually don't seem to. Uh, we, it's been sort of a wasteland down here, despite this being an area where the target consumer, I believe, is um, with um, you know educated urban suburban professionals um, that have disposable income um, that can um, buy into investing in in a better quality um, food or drink. So um, that that we thought was right, and in every direction around Cheltenham, that's who our target was. So we thought, and we we live in the southeast. I'm Canadian, but I've lived in Australia for ten years, and uh, my wife is uh, from the southeast. I've lived down here for six years now, and you know this is this is home. So we wanted to do it. Yeah, in our backyard. I think it's been great to um, walking down uh, the main strip in Cheltenham there and seeing the Bad Shepherd logo on a lot of um, places. Uh, it's pretty there. cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's again humbling when you see that because um, you know it's your dream coming to life. Yeah. So, so how yeah. how important is the community to Bad Shepherd in terms of um, what you can what you can offer the community? Mm. Um, critical, actually. Um, for us, everything we did was about um, was about community. When we started this, um, my wife and I talked about um, Bad Shepherd being um, having a clear purpose. And our purpose to us was um, we spent actually spent a few days just digging into that and peeling it apart, peeling back the the layers of that onion and really getting to the root of who we are. Um, and we came out with uh, beer the way it should be, and everything we do is a test against that. And one of the critical parts I believe about beer the way it should be is um, is having a relationship with the people that consume it. Um, and we know our we know our consumers. We don't know all of them. We know a lot of them. Uh, we know them by name. 
um, and uh, we connect as a social hub. That's a traditional element of of, of, of a bar and of quality uh, quality drink and food is um, is a is a place you can go and everybody knows you and and you're part of a, a connected community. And we felt like that was missing down here, so we wanted that to be what we're about. Um, Everything we make here is is locally produced. Um, you know, our berries, our bottles, our cartons. Jeez, uh, half of our our bakery, everything is right in this area. Um, wow. All our suppliers are here, um, and then we we invest back in a lot of uh, community events, karma kegs, um, all for our local patrons. Um, we believe that everything we do needs to be a, a virtuous cycle i think and that that also involves the the places around us um in terms of our product um we don't sell our product outside of melbourne um i won't i won't say never um but if we did we'd have to do it right and it would have to still make sense and right now it doesn't so we're we're focused on particularly mostly the southeast the vast majority of our sales are down here we do sell around melbourne but our focus is this community yeah, so. Excellent. So mm. for those interstate or international listeners, you need Sorry. to come to Melbourne. <laughs> it's a good excuse to come yeah. to Melbourne. There's lots of reasons to come, but yeah. clearly Bad Shepherd <laughs> is, uh, you know, the Cheltenham tourist board will be going, yeah, the phone yeah. will be ringing yeah. off the hook. So no, that's great. So um, the Chosen Brew, we're going to go through your six beers that yeah. changed everything for you. Yeah. Um, what is your beer journey been like so far in terms of you've gone from... Uh, can I say a failed home brewer? Oh, absolutely. I think we're all failed home brewers <laughs> at the start. Um, <coughs> we started with, um, geez, my first, my first home brew was so bad. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 well, I drank it. I drank it, but it was, it was so bad. I just drank it um, just to prove to myself that I'd made it. Um, but it was oxidized as just a bucket load of acetaldehyde. It just was... It was fusely. It was it was horrible. Yeah. Um, but you start somewhere, um, and and you learn. And I think much like anything in life, um, you know, when you get some tread on the tires, you start to understand how to operate your vehicle. You know, and that and that's what I went through. That's what I think pretty much everybody does on that journey. So, but it took time, and those first few beers were awful, <laughs> awful. I came very close to actually. <laughs> throwing out my whole kit but uh, people convinced me on some online forums i tried to give away the 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 equipment and people you know passionate homebrewers kind of told me no you can make good beer um here's what you need to do particularly sanitation and uh, temperature control um and i gave those a crack and um the beer started to get pretty good and sort of built from there that's really quite nice that some mm. the people out there in the homebrew community weren't just ready to snaffle off your yeah. uh, homebrew kit, but <laughs> yeah. were actually so enthusiastic yeah. to. They're so to inclusive. It's a great community. It's it really is. yeah. yeah so. That's lovely to hear. Mm. So, what's your first choice? Your first oh, jeez. You know what? Um, I, so, I, so I thought about this. I kind of peeled uh, my own onion back on that one, and um, I think I would go um, with uh, what was my gateway beer. Um, I moved to Australia in 2006, and I didn't know beer from... Uh, oh, I thought I did. I thought I knew. Uh, and every beer I knew was a lager, and they all probably tasted the same blind. I wouldn't know the difference. But um, when I came here, I think it was probably around 2008, a couple of years after I got here, I, um, I tried a little Creature's Pale Ale, and that was game-changing for me. My, my life changed when I tried that, and I realized what a hoppy beer is and um, what real flavor in beer can bring. And... Um, there's a lot of nostalgia connected to that for me. It's, um, it was, it was my, it was my gateway. It was my, 
my entry into craft beer. And, um, and I, I distinctly remember the first time I tried it sitting in, it was actually in a gold class cinema and it, they had it there and I ordered it and, and it came out and I, and, and, and I, and I tried it. Um, and I just kind of looked at, um, I can't remember who I was there with. Um, but anyway, um, would have been a girl I was dating, I suppose. But, um, anyway, I turned and looked at her and, and just said, oh, this is amazing. You know, and, and I was floored. So um, I think it says a lot about a, a beer enthusiast that yeah. they'll remember the beer and not the person they were with. Yeah, right. <laughs> it does. It does. There you go. <laughs> it was that meaningful. So um, yeah, I, I would. Um, I, I would always love to um, to have the chance to go back to that. And you know, I, I actually order it with. There's always a little bit of nostalgia in ordering a little creatures pale ale. I a lot of people are quite disappointed and the fact that um you know they're technically big beer now but um i'm not um i think that um i think lime done a great job of protecting what little creatures mm. truly is about what their purpose is what the company is and um and i think they make great beers and they're they're they continue to do so and they continue to support the community so i actually i'll always order little creatures if i see it on 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 the menu and there's kind of nothing else that's sort of jumping out at me it's Got yeah. a meaning to me, so I yeah. think a lot of people would go for that. Would have had a very similar pale ale little yep. creatures experience. Yep. Um, for a beer, I think it's five point two percent, and mm. just yeah, exactly that experience of um, it's probably one of those few beers that if there was nothing on the tap, you could look in the fridge and there it was, little yeah. creatures pale ale, easy um, go to beer. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So that is a nostalgic one and uh, <laughs> it's probably nostalgic as well as you say because they've been taken over by line and things yeah. but you know the perception's changed of that but yeah. it's yeah that's what chosen brew is about a bit of bit of yearning nostalgia yeah. so yeah yeah um second choice second choice yeah uh, well um yeah thought long and hard about this too and um it's so hard to actually pick a beer that you'd say yeah i love all styles of beer and 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 you know it I always find it uncomfortable when people say, what's your favorite style of beer, your favorite beer? This is different to think about what, you know, what, what would be your last six. And um, to me, um, it would have to be something that would have some sort of meaning in terms of complexity, I think. Um, and my go-to complex beer that I just love is an, um, an aged Chimay Blue. I think there's something incredible about that. Um, I had one at the, uh, I think it's called the Culminator Cafe in Antwerp. Um, I had one that was about 30 years old, and it just blew me away. Bottle came out all full of dust. And it, had, um, you know, it, it was presented with a year on it, that little sticker. And, um, and it, geez, it's probably only about 12, maybe 14 euros. It wasn't even that expensive. Wow. They, but they had, you could, you could vertically try anything all the way back to the, I want to say the sixties, certainly the seventies. Um, but I, um, I ordered the one, um, and it came out. I had a few other ones that were, um, Trappist beers, but the Chimay blue to me is something just special. Um, and it's got all sorts of beautiful raisiny and, and, um, and complex sort of malt flavors of currants and cherries and, um, but it's not sticky and it's got this beautiful, um, phenolic finish. I think the bitterness drops away, but the phenols are there, and it cleans it up at the end. And um, man, I, I could, yeah, that was that was something <laughs> special for me. Um, I, I would, if I were ever to to dig in on a Belgian beer as part of that group, it'd have to be a Chimay Blue. So, yeah. mm. and how did that sort of when you had you tried anything like that before that point? Mm. 
Not that old. No, no. I, I've tried a lot of, um, of Bells and Darks. You know, I really love a Rockfort 10. I love, I tried the, the Westy 12 when I was in Belgium. And yeah, I, I tried a lot of these <coughs> dark beers. But um, the Chimay Blue is, um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think I saw, I had, <laughs> I had an Orval. I had, um, had a Rockfort. I had a bunch that were all sort of 20, 30 years old. And they all aged differently. Some not as good as others. Um, but I don't know. There's something about the the character that just it. Yeah, it's. A, I've got a few now that I'm sitting on. They're nowhere near that old, but they're four or five years old, and I want to sit on them in my fridge for a good twenty years, and then pull them out and just see what what I get out of it. So, I'm quite excited to do that. I'm. I, I've been remiss, but I'm going to try to start buying um, from every year. And, that, and Chimay actually puts their year on their oh, bottle. Yeah. So you can actually um, go back and do your own vertical tasting if you've got them. So I'm going to try to buy um, you know, a few bottles of each and then try to do a few vertical tastings in 10, 20 years with them. And yeah, I think there's... Sounds fantastic. Mm, yeah. yeah, so... Yeah. And mm. do, do you think there'll be a point where you try to emulate what Chimay do? Oh my goodness! Um, no, no, I, I don't think so, and I don't. I think it would be um, back to purpose. I don't. Excuse me. Um, I don't think that we could do that, and I, I don't think I'd want to say we could. Um, I think some brewers, you know, somebody like um, like a Matt Houghton at, at Boat Rocker, incredibly skilled brewer, um, and challenges what craft beer can be in Australia. Um, and while we do. Uh, I, I'm not going to pretend to uh, say that I have the um, the the skill set or the uh, the the knowledge base to pull that off. Maybe one day, but um, that's, a, that's a big big ask to make something that's been made by Trappist for hundreds of years. And there's only a few brewers I'd look at in Australia that can really pull that off, and I really respect them. So yeah. um, maybe one day, but I, no, I, I don't think it's too humbling to even think about. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big <laughs> ask. Yeah, so. Mm. Um, it's certainly a big ask to imagine that we'll, you know, maybe in our lifetimes we'll never mm. get to sell a, uh, an Australian beer for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, um, and there are a few out there that probably could right mm. now. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to sit on, you know, a Ramjet or, a, you know, a Boris or one of these um, these beers made by you know, the best mm. brewers in the country and, and see what happens in 20 years, but... Oh, no, so let's not sell ourselves short. Well, we're only lucky <laughs> that we're in a, a country which has a, a long life expectancy, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. right, that's right. And if we take care of ourselves, <laughs> don't, don't drink too much. <laughs> so, choice three. Choice three. Um, so this is now a slice of home. Um, I just thought I, I needed something in there. There's so many m- meaningful beers, but um, I didn't want to dip back into my uh, domestic lagers of childhood um, as it, they weren't drinking for the right reasons and I don't think they're representative of what craft beer in Canada can be. Thought a lot about the Quebec beers like La Fain du Monde and um, a lot of the um, you know the big Belgian style Quebec beers. But um, a piece of home. I'm from Ontario, Canada and um, there's a there's a, a brewery called uh, Muskoka Brewery. Um, and they make this incredible West Coast style of IPA, Mad Tom IPA. And for my money, when I go home, if I want an IPA, I always turn to that. Um, in fact, it was one of my inspirations for our um, New World IPA that we've made here. Um, and I don't think it's consistent with what they do, but um, but it, it inspired me to do something similar. And um, and the guys there, um, the owners of Muskoka Brewery, actually uh, mentored me a bit, um, went through my plans, helped me out 
um, when we got going here. So they're, they're good people. And, um, and I, and I just love grabbing a mad Tom when I go home. So, um, that's, um, yeah, had to be in the list. Uh, need an IPA in there anyway, right? So yeah, <laughs> and also, the, the, was that a beer that you? When did you start? Was that available from when you started drinking, or was that a university uh, beer, or was it no? Later? It wasn't. So that's the thing. When, before I came to Australia in 2006, I wouldn't have known a craft beer from um, from a domestic log. I wouldn't know the difference. I thought I did, but um, you know, whether it was a um, a Budweiser, a Molson, or a Labatt, they're all. They're all domestic lagers. I didn't know. They're prob- I'm certain there was craft beer. Um, in fact, Muskoka Brewery was, was around since the early 2000s. Um, but I didn't know them. Um, and I don't know when Mad Tom was launched. I didn't discover it until, oh boy, probably 2010, 2011, when I started getting into craft beer and I went home and I dabbled in quite a few different breweries. Just you know, being a craft beer... Um, geek um and trying different beers and um you know as we do um you know the loyalty isn't strong in craft beer brands but there is in the category um and we all kind of float in and out of beers um that's kind of the fun of it um but um when i discovered the mad tom i thought wow and that that is a good beer and it, you know every time i go home it's always one of the first ones i grab off the shelf it actually is the first one i grab so um and that's partly because it's amazing, but now also because the guys, I got to know the owners um, and they were very helpful to me. So, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, choice four. Choice four. Um, right. So um, I think I'd turn more the nostalgia. This would be quite a, a nostalgic group I've got here, but I suppose most people would do that. Um, this one more is um, a, a piece of Australia for me. Um, when I first got into craft brewing or into brewing, um, I moved from home brewing into brewing in a in a professional environment, and that was at Mornington Brewery. Um, I moved from I used to work in marketing at Craft Foods, and um, I went from five days a week uh, working there to four days a week, and spent one day a week interning at Mornington Brewery and. Um, you know, Matt Beeb and Andrew Gow down there were, were kind enough to give me that chance to go in at green other than, you know, making beer at home and, and spend time on their line and eventually making beers on my own. And, um, and they trusted me enough to do that. Um, and without that, we couldn't have been where we are today. They're, they're very important to me. Um, so Mornington Pale, um, that's their flagship and it's a beautiful beer. Um, I was fortunate enough to make it a few times on my own. Um, getting to know their system and getting uh, comfort level. And to this day, um, AG and uh, Matt still help me. Um, in fact, AG was just here last week, just dropped in to say hi. And uh, they're just great guys. And um, I'd, need a, I'd need a Mornington beer. It'd be hard to choose which one, but I think their flagship, the Pale, just would be most meaningful to me. So um, it's not my favorite, actually. Their Brown is my favorite of their beers, but the Pale would be the one I'd want. So uh, Yeah, yeah. So and they've just recently released a couple of nitro cans. Yeah, right? they did yeah. the uh, the how do you say it? the sacrifice stout. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take your word for that one. <laughs> yeah, I think they've done two different um, uh, stouts. I think um, in in nitro, but without the widget. So I think the idea is you need agitation, so you basically just invert your can and it comes mm. out quickly. So, but they're doing great things. Yeah, they, they got. Um, plenty of beers in, in cans now they when they started they were very careful about their core range and just a few um you know uh limited release beers or seasonal beers but they knew a lot 
Um, but when they earn their stripes, then they um, and they they add a larger system, then they can kind of turn to the smaller one and, and have a bit of fun. Um, and I, it seems to me, I, I'm not close to what they're doing, but every time I walk into a into a bottle shop, I see another pretty cool beer they've just launched. That's kind of one off, and you know, um, I, I think that. Um, They've earned that opportunity, and they're smart about balancing that with their core beers. So, so obviously, coming from a, a you know a big business background yourself, yeah. um, what is it about the craft beer or the good beer scene? Why people are, are so helpful towards each other? Because in the in a normal business sense, you if, wouldn't do it. Yeah, if another no. competitor opened across the street, yeah. you'd be quite upset. Yeah, but in craft beer, it seems to be that if someone opened across the street, you'd you'd be over oh, the moon. I'd welcome with open arms. Yeah. I, it, Why it, is that? <laughs> we, uh, I'll, I'll give one exception to it, Ian. Um, it would be if they opened up a brew pub that was a barbecue smokehouse across the street, then I'd be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> but I would hope none of them would be that stupid. Um, if they, if, you know, I think it, actually I'm quite certain it has a lot to do with the, um, the stage, both the, the stage of infancy or growth of the market um, combined with, there's probably a few things. It'd be that, there's going to be a bit of a cultural element where everybody's DIY and DIY communities generally are all about sharing knowledge, open source. Um, if we all share them, we all win. Um, but I think it also, um, the biggest one, I think those things have been forced by consumer sentiment. Um, and I said briefly earlier, um, but I, I actually believe the marketer in me looks at this quite a, hopefully objectively. And, and a, a traditional, um, traditional mature categories are all about market share. Um, and generally, other than you know, the odd time when there's a launch of a product that moves the needle, generally markets grow at rate of population, um, not much more. Um, but uh, so you, you, you try to beat out your competitors and have a point of difference to, to um, increase the loyalty for your product. So it's in, it's in their repertoire and consistently. So that's, you know, if, if you want people to switch to a cherry ripe from a, from a Mars bar, you need a reason for that. And you want them to buy the cherry ripe, you know, fortnightly instead of the Mars. It's fighting over share. With craft beer, um, brand loyalty is effectively non-existent. Um, category loyalty is immense. So I actually believe that um, consumers don't want to be brand loyal. They want to, they're actually quite fickle and they want to try the new thing and they want to float in and out. But if you have that meaningful point of difference within the category, then you're part of their repertoire, even if you float in and out and you're okay with that. So the best way to do that is to have more and more people in the category where we all grow together. And if you have, if you know, bad shepherd pale has a, has a place within that, then I'm okay with helping, you know, the next brewery that opened out or, you know, if Mornington never needed it, they're way beyond what we're doing, but if they ever did, I'd be happy to help. Um, you know, I think the more we all help each other, the more, if we, if songs bad shepherds a part of it then the more we we grow so if a brewery opened up around the corner tomorrow um and they did i don't know what but if they had they had their own you know if it's pizza place or something and they, and, they, and they had a craft brewery i'd welcome with open arms and i would support it i think that we would just bring more people in the industry um and we would both be a part of consumers repertoires and that's you know instead of 10 15 of people it'd be 20 and that's so I think a rising tide raises all boats and I think um, yeah, it's, it's consumer sentiment has driven that more than anything else so choice number five choice five 
Choice five. So I'm going to go for a piece of home now. Um, you know, when, when, we first, um, when we first opened Bad Shepherd, uh, I played with a lot of recipes. And you know, kind of everything we, we brewed here, we had we'd done a test batch of something. But um, uh, inspired by the Little Creatures Pale Ale, when I first got into craft brewing at home or home brewing, um, I loved American-style pale ales. I thought there was something... There's something special about a beer that has um, an incredible malt complexity um, supported by um, beautiful hops, beautiful, juicy, vibrant hops um, in a beer that isn't six and a half, seven percent. There's something about that. And I think Australians have nailed that. I don't think the, uh, the USA has. Um, in fact, I think they're, they're too big for beers um, and they're just all a celebration of hops. And there's a place for that. But. Um, I think that the, the best beers and the most incredible, enjoyable beers in market are um, hoppy pale ales. Um, yeah, the style's got all muddy now with um, you know, session IPAs and XPAs and American pales. And it's a hoppy pale ale. However you want to call it, that's what it is. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I played, I played with hoppy pale ales a lot. Um, in fact, I brewed. Um, what is now our American Pale Ale over a hundred times at wow. home, um, and I and I kept on trying to figure out what made our Pale Ale special. I played and played and played, and it, uh, all we do, we um, my wife actually and I we brew it together, and and um, we'd we'd just change one ingredient each time, and each time it got a little bit closer, but it was never quite right. And then one day, um, the last adjustment I made, so it's made with Cascade and Columbus hops in the boil. Um, and then um, it dry hopped with um, Mosaic Galaxy. Um, and originally I was playing with Centennial and a few other things. And then one day I tried it with, uh, with Crystal Hops. And that was the moment where I just, we thought, that's it. We've, we've now got our signature. It just gave it, a, it's not much Crystal Hops in there, but it's got this spiciness that just finished it off. And, um, and that was the first beer we made. Um, that was um, what we intended to be our flagship. Um, and there's a mad passion for it here at our brew pub and so I'd have to have that with me it's far too meaningful to me personally and it's also it's bad shepherd and this is me living my dream so I'd have to have a bad shepherd pale ale yeah excellent choice and um a hundred times brewing over a hundred over a hundred how do you get rid of all that beer that's actually how we came up with the name for the uh for the brewery we used to have jeez um I won't say every weekend, but at least once a month, we'd have friends over just trying our beers and trying Diddy's smoked meats. And, um, you know, I, I think um, there's a few friends that started teasing us saying, every time you, you, you're awful, because every time you invite us over, we, we, we can't say no. It's beer and barbecue, <laughs> right? And we, she jokingly said, it's kind of like we're a bad shepherd. We said, oh, that's a beautiful name. <laughs> so it's, it stuck, and it was true to who we are. But so that's how we got rid of it. We just um, would invite friends over. Um, and, you know, to be honest, you know, I dumped a lot. Um, I think a lot of people would be very angry with me saying that, but uh, what's the truth of it? Um, I cared more. I, I had an end game in mind. I really wanted to take what I loved to people in, in a bigger scale. And so if it meant from time to time I opened up a keg and dumped it out, I did. Um, I've probably dumped 20 or 30 kegs, you know, two thirds of them pretty pretty comfortably and i just got used to it and that's okay it's it was a, you know r&d type process so, but usually we'd have friends come over and they'd eat they drink it up yeah it, maybe you know the friends that you don't like you can give off give them off the, uh, <laughs> you know. yeah. well you know it got to a point where it made more sense to uh to dump it at the start i was happy to give everything away but the more 
we were focused on quality and every time I felt like I was giving it to people it was now me saying this is this is me and trust me as a as a brewer uh, professionally so um if I wasn't happy with it I didn't want somebody else touching that I didn't want getting on their palate um because it wasn't what I wanted them to experience so I'd I'd dump it I think that is the mark of a Mm. that movement from being an amateur to professionals that mindset of of, yeah you know if it's not good enough it's not going anywhere no it's yeah no you can drink it yourself or you can do whatever you like but um when, when, when you have a when you have an objective to you know share that more than just for fun um you need to you need to treat it with that respect i think so yeah well i've really enjoyed listening to your first five beers <laughs> your last five beers you know it's been a great journey number six um right so i'm gonna cheat a bit here it's gonna be a six a and six b but um so because there's a story to this so um when we started getting into uh into craft beer um we uh more me my, my wife doesn't drink as much but she she'd often dabble and try things with me but um I really fell in love with a, with a beer that I thought was unique in style and um, position and market as you could get in Australia. Um, and it was rapidly became my favorite beer in Australia. Um, that's uh, the Holgate Temptress. Uh, that was a beautiful, beautiful beer. I still do today. Um, and, and I looked at that and I thought, you know, um, could we ever do something as powerful as that? And uh, so I started playing with different styles and, trying to work out what, what we could do. And, um, and we didn't want to copy what the Holgate Temptress is about. We just wanted to be inspired by it. And that's where um, my sixth beer would be the uh, R Hazelnut Brown, the, the Bad Shepherd Hazelnut Brown, which has emerged as our flagship. Um, we, didn't th- we thought it would be the Pale. The Pale is, um, it'd be our number two beer, but the Hazelnut Brown has just rapidly jumped to the, um, jumped to the front of the list. It's over 50% of our sales and... Um, inspired by that positioning but we didn't want to do a chocolate porter we wanted to do something that did have that that place in market that could be not a hoppy beer um something that uh, celebrates malt presence um but puts a a unique spin on it and um and i always loved the um the the english brown style of beer um the the ones with a bit more flavor i think a, a newcastle brown is intentionally quite light um and doesn't celebrate the way it could um, there's some much better ones out there. Um, but, uh, so we, um, we came up with, uh, the, uh, the hazelnut brown and, um, the, the, uh, the impetus behind it was we, we did used to tell me, I, I loved it. I could never nail the style. And she kept telling me, you just, just give up. You can't make an, an English brown. Um, and then, um, and then one day I came up with, yeah, I, I forget where he, I was actually at a homebrew meeting and, and Dave, this other Canadian guy, I told him that I was having difficulty making English brown. And he said, um, you know what I always do is I just open up the keg and pour a little frangelico in there and that takes care of it. So I was like, Ooh, this could be interesting. Hazelnut. Wow. I, saw, I sort of played a bit, came with different ideas and I tried um, throwing hazelnuts in there um, and it changed it. And then I threw a little bit of um, hazelnut oil um, in there and a bit of vanilla and it started to coming in its own and same thing I didn't make it over 100 times we probably made it over 20 times um, and what we ended up coming out with was um, something really beautiful and um, it took a little while but um, now it's a it's it's uh, it's a fan favorite um, in here and it's a bit cultish 
Um, so I, I'd have to have it with me. It's um, it's made with actual toasted hazelnuts, um, hazelnut oil, frangelico, and vanilla. Um, but it's got a big, beautiful, uh, full-bodied but not cloying finish. Um, and it's it's our it's our cult beer. So yeah. it'd, it'd have to be with me. It is a great choice. It's mm. great beer, and also one of those beers. I think that um, sort of is probably going to be a gateway beer for other people because um i've got friends who just won't touch any dark beers yeah that they're australian yeah they so. say it's, it's too heavy <laughs> yeah. say. it's too yeah, heavy think it's too heavy they think there's so many stereotypes around yeah. dark beer yeah i think that exactly same with the temptress as well yeah it's that beer that says oh that's actually an alternative to even to dessert or to mix in with other things and yeah. It's, it's a beautiful beer, so um, mm. that's great. Well, you also get to choose, uh, to go along with your six beers, you also get to choose an ultimate bar snack that you'd have alongside your mm. six beers and yep. also your ultimate uh, drinking vessel yep. as well. Oh, boy. Um, so, the uh, well, the bar snack, I think, would be very easy. Um, well, they, they both are. Um, the, the bar snack would have to be a piece of home. Um, yeah, I'd it'd need to be a Putin. Um, and a Putin, um, uh, for those of you that don't know, it's a French Canadian dish. Um, very popular in Canada. It's incredible. Um, it's a heart attack special, but it's incredible. It's, um, <laughs> it's French fries or, or chips, um, hot chips with, um, with cheese curds. So it's like squeaky, salty, um, curd of a cheese. And it's, it's incredibly, um, yeah, rich and well, not rich, but sort of salty, salty, rubbery. Um, it just got this really cool flavor to it, and it goes great with French fries. And then smothered in gravy, and that's uh, it, yeah, done right. You need a proper curd, though. You can't just put mozzarella as they do at Lord of the Fries here and stuff. You can't do that. You need a curd, but a proper curd and a, a good poutine. That's yeah. I, I'd love to live on that. I think it'd be huge, <laughs> but I'd love to live on that. So um, it would have to be a poutine. Um, and the vessel, um, yeah, probably the most, uh, it'd have to be something meaningful again. Um, and my, um, my sister-in-law, Angie, she, um, she actually gives, uh, she, she's just great at giving me, uh, at, at gifts. She just, just knows a lot of people kind of struggle, um, you know, and you, you get gifts on, uh, for your birthdays or Christmas and stuff that you kind of wonder why you got that. And it's quite uncomfortable. <laughs> she's a genius and she just styled into, uh, I guess, you know, great ideas for gifts. And she gave me one year a, um, a, a mug that's in the form of a skull. Um, and it just, it just looks cool. Um, and it's smooth on the inside. So it actually doesn't affect the, uh, the way it's poured, the way you drink out of it. Um, and because it's, you know, it was a personal gift and I love the look of it. I, whenever I'm at a home, that's what I drink out of. So I think it just have to follow me along. So fantastic. Well, Derek, thanks very much for being on the chosen brew. Is it really enjoyable to listen to you chosen six beers and your snack and your vessel? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> no, really pleasure to be here and um, thanks for spending time today. Thanks, Ian. Cheers. So that was it. Derek Hales from Bad Shepherd and his six, almost seven beers that changed everything. Derek was a pleasure to talk to, very welcoming and so knowledgeable about the beer industry and the market that surrounds it as well. Great to have someone like that being an ambassador for craft beer, not just his own brewery. If you haven't been down there, get yourself down to Cheltenham. It's within a walk of a couple of train stations, and it's a great brew pub with wonderful food and, dare I say, excellent beers. 
If you enjoyed listening to the Chosen Brew podcast, please tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter at The Chosen Brew or log on to the website at thechosenbrewau.com. In the next episode, I'm speaking to Dave and Luke from Ale of a Time. I wonder what beer Dave could be talking about. The first sip utterly confounded me. I've, I've never had an issue with sourness with anything, so like it, I didn't mind the sourness, but I didn't know what was going on. And I had the 750ml bottle to myself, and from first sip to last, I did not work any of it out. Thanks for listening. See you soon. <laughs>